Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. In the previous three messages, I gave some kind of opening word regarding something on our side in our life with the Lord that we can experience to cooperate with him in saving us in life and causing growth of life unto maturity. And in message one, we focused on Romans 8.28, preceded by the indwelling spirit praying for us. And then in response to the prayer of the spirit, the sovereign God causes all things to work together for good. And the good is being conformed to the image of Christ, the firstborn son. And then in the second message, we talked about turning our heart to the Lord. And the veil is taken away. So if you forgot to turn your heart, it's not too late for today. And if you want to do it afresh, just, it's effortless. Lord, I turn my heart to you right now. And then the veil is lifted, and we all, with unveiled face, behold and reflect the glory of the Lord, which we saw is the glory in his face. And our beholding this, even for a short time, activates the transformation process in us. And then last night, about the two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with the tree of life, and we look to the Lord that we would all have a clear understanding and then more and more learn and actually live by the tree of life. But our wonderful Lord very often saves the best for the end. And this is the end of our precious conference. It's not the end of anything, you know, magisterial. And so where are we going to go now? Just get ready. In the previous messages, more and more, we have been opening our heart to the Lord, loving him, opening our being to receive his dispensing. But now he wants to lead and guide each one of us into his heart. To really know what is in the heart of the sovereign God. And then along with that, we will have a fresh, maybe brand new view of the Bible 
in its entirety as a whole. So now the key words are this, divine romance. Divine romance. The time will come as the Lord is shepherding us and even though there's nearly a hundred of us in this room, he cares for each sheep one by one while he's shepherding the entire flock. And so he's here. We can't see him, but we love him. We don't see him, but we believe in him. And the shepherd of our soul is here. Now, what is the basis for my mentioning this? The divine romance is the, initiates, was initiated in the heart of God. Well, like almost all that I have learned, I learned through the ministry of the age and from the ministers of the age. And we don't exalt anyone, but we just speak the facts. Watchman Nee, Witness Lee, were the ministers of the age, built upon all the previous centuries of what the Lord has recovered. And in December 1974, long ago, we had, Brother Lee had the first semi-annual training devoted to the life study of the Bible. He had began to give some messages earlier, but he began the semi-annual trainings. Ten days, 30 messages, remarkable. And he was, he began with Romans, and I hope there's a way that every one of you can have access to message one in the life study of Romans. And if it's not available in your language, I hope that someone who can translate another language to you would locate it. It will have a marvelous impact and lifelong effect of your life with the Lord. And so we were all astounded in that training, but also enlightened. When Brother Lee said, we want to understand the book of Romans, but we need to understand Romans in the context of the Bible as a whole in its entirety. And then he went on to say, the Bible is a romance, a romance of a universal couple. And you may want to consider something, not, you know, in a very quick way, but just in a thoughtful way concerning your way of reading the Bible. And this is something, it's so basic, 
but it's something the enemy tries to deviate us from and just steal our time. And in your personal fellowship with the Lord, and you ask him, I want to read through the whole Bible. What is the practical way for me? I have to be at my job at 6.30 in the morning and drive 45 minutes before. Then I come home and there's so many needs in the family. Well, the Lord will indicate to you whether you can do a three-in-one, three Old Testament chapters, one New Testament, or that's for one year or for longer. But I just appeal to you, please read the Bible every day. And so Brother Lee went on to say that this Bible is a book of romance and the universal couple is, of course, God in Christ, our Savior and Lord, and uh, the wife is the redeemed people of God. And in the Old Testament, we have a typology of that with the people of Israel. But in the New Testament, we have the reality of this. And now, when I mention reading the Bible, we have to consider how to read it. And I thank the Lord very much for his training and discipline for my learning still continuing, probably will ing until we're raptured, right? And then I realize the Bible, we all know, is the inspired written word of God. But Christ himself is the living word of God. And I would just recommend one very simple matter. Whenever you have a few minutes to read the word, there you are, sitting down, the Bible's open, then have this realization. You are reading this with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, and you are touching him as you are reading, it will revolutionize your Bible reading. Even you're a busy mom, you have a very brief, uh, very short coffee break at work, whatever, or you're stuck in traffic, so you might as well redeem a few minutes. Then you just read a little. In the presence of the Lord, he is the one whose words are spirit and life. And as you are just reading the Bible, you're not studying even. And you may not be necessarily pray reading, you're reading. But the Lord is there to speak life into you. Well, now back to this manner of the divine romance. 
If you read those four or five pages, I would say a few times over, you will have an overall view that is unique among us in the Lord's recovery because of what was recovered through these faithful brothers. The Bible is a record of the divine romance. And as early as Genesis chapter 2, there you have a picture. A man shouldn't be alone. You need a counterpart. And then the man and the woman typify Christ and the church. Then our dear brother, Apostle John, is on the island of Patmos. He's in the spirit. And the final revelation comes again and again. And then by the time we reach chapter 21, the messenger sent from God says, come here, I will show you. And he saw the new heaven and the new earth. And the new Jerusalem descending from heaven as a wife prepared for her husband. It needs to be written in your mind. New Jerusalem is not a place. And New Jerusalem is not a material city. The New Jerusalem is a person. That's also the kingdom of God. That's why the word city is there. Then in the same chapter, the angel, the messenger said this to John, around verses 9 and 10, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he's carried away in spirit up into a high mountain. And what did he see? He saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, descending. And the first characteristic mentioned was the glory of God. So the ultimate revelation in the Bible is of the bride and the bridegroom. From Genesis 2 to Revelation 21, this is the beginning and the ending of this love story. Well, maybe some of you... Uh, are thinking in a rather uh, significant way, well, how do I enter into this? It's not hard to understand the thought or the teaching, and surely I will seek to read that portion of the life study, but then what do I do? Well, it, it, let me show you a marvelous, or not so much show you as tell you, a remarkable way. And it's in a rather short Bible book, okay? Eight chapters, Old Testament. What is it? Song of Songs. And uh, everything you read is about this love relationship leading to a splendid marriage. But it has been open to us 
Way back in the 1930s, uh, Brother, Lee was, Brother Nee was meeting in a hotel by a, a big lake in China. I forget the name of the place. Although I visited there and stayed in that hotel, which doesn't exist. And he just was with maybe 10 or 12 saints and opened up Song of Songs. And then Brother Lee's life study and crystallization study are built upon that and the development of that. And so, let me read the first two verses. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. This is how it starts. And uh, brothers here, especially young men brothers, this may be really surprising to you. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. And so this divine romance began with a kiss. And you look at some of the footnotes. You look at this one. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So it's not a little kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the hand. It's a kiss from his mouth to her mouth. And that is the most intimate contact in this kind of proper relationship. And the time will come. It may surprise you. It just may spring up in you. This verse just comes to you and say, let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth. Kiss me. And I hope it's okay to mention the name of a faithful co-worker that we all love very much and appreciate his portion. And I want to mention him because we're talking, I'm referring to, you know, a brother well into his 70s, been in the Lord's recovery since 1969, faithful all the time. Prior to that, he was professional football. He was a big, strong, powerful person. And he would take the lead. Let him kiss me. Because in relation to him, he's the man. And we're part of the wife. So brothers, we got a big lesson to learn. Because we're so, aren't you thankful that God created you a man? Well, however it may be in the old creation, we're all going to be part of a corporate counterpart. And I think we should get used to it little by little. So that's how it began. And then I have a suggestion, okay? Only a suggestion. Don't interpret it as some kind of requirement. This is not a training. There's no requirements. But it would be very helpful to you if you would read through Song of Songs once a month. Once a month, eight chapters. You could just do it in eight days, a chapter a day. 
and you may have the feeling to read some of the notes, this is going to supply you in a very particular way. So we can't, we don't have the time now, we don't have the leading now to go through all the details, but I already mentioned it. She expresses her love initially, and they have this delightful relationship. And then he says, dear, you're like a mare pulling Pharaoh's chariot. And then when love is there, when love is speaking and expressing love, you can say anything and everything, and the recipient will gladly receive it. So she wasn't whining. I already mentioned this. He called me, you know, a horse. It just all the stages. And by the terms he used, he indicates your progress. And the more we live in this divine romance, the Lord will have ways of indicating to you, you're not what you were there. You're not in chapter one anymore. You're not just in... Now you're at the end of chapter two. The resurrected Christ has brought you to the cleft of the rock, the cross. And then later the Lord says, come and sit with me in the heavenlies. Then he says, you're all, you're beautiful, you're lovely, but you're a terrifying army to the enemy. Then eventually in chapter six, he says, hi, Shulamite. I love you, Shulamite. I made you the same as I am in life, in nature, in constitution, in function, in expression. But you know, I'm also God, and you're not. But you are now my counterpart. And then, in chapter 7, she can be his, his serving with him, she has the first love and the first works, that is, works that have their source in love and that express love. And then now we skip over to okay, chapter 8. I don't have to look it up. In verse 1, you study that chapter, you get some help. Now, this one who was the mare was the lily way in the beginning is now mature to be the Shulamite and faithful in serving with him. And then in chapter eight, the context is she wants a transfigured body. And she says, when I am out of the flesh, I will kiss you. So the divine romance begins with a kiss and it consummates with a kiss. Now, don't try, you know, on your way home or whatever to try it. Okay, how do I kiss an invisible person? Just maybe pray with the verses. And, and read the footnotes, and the Lord is going to bring you into this divine romance. 
And as I mentioned earlier, he will bring you into his heart. I'm so thankful that in Brother Lee's life study of Ephesians, when he's in chapter 1, and the verses speak about God's good pleasure, I'm so glad that the interpretation said this, the desire of God's heart. And under the Lord's covering and for glory to God. This is just an issue, something developing. The motivation of my life in the Lord is the desire of God's heart. And I'd like to testify as a developing brother and a maturing brother, but not rapture-ready brother, that the desire of God's heart is now the desire of my heart. And I, I hope it's okay with a very endearing person here. But when my wife and I were in a wedding meeting, I had no idea how do we, how do we have one. But eventually, a thousand saints were there. Maybe wondering, we've never been to this kind of wedding meeting anyway. But our feeling from the beginning was, this is for the Lord's divine romance. Our marriage is for his. And he led us to write that hymn and even sing it, if you could call it singing. Because, look, this is not pseudo-humility. I'm not pretending to be humility. Before the Lord, I would, I would just say to you, and I think the Lord would agree, Ron, Kangas, a tough case. Inwardly, tough case. Okay, but nothing is too tough for our God. And the thing that he wanted to touch in a very definite way and what he wanted to open that required love and a blow was my heart. And look, I'm not pretending. I really am an ing. We are ings together. But what's in me right now as I'm standing here and sharing this and somehow, I don't know how this works out, but I'm speaking to the whole congregation. But actually, I'm speaking to you, singular. Don't you sense this? Because this is the Lord's heart. He cares for you. He loves you. He brought you here. So now... Uh, we can come to the outline itself because this lengthy opening part 
is very closely involved with the subject. The Lord's awaiting our growth in life unto maturity so that the bride will make herself ready. That's what it says. The wife, the bride, makes herself ready. And in a few minutes, when we get to the beginning of Roman numeral 2, I'll share with you as, as much as I can what's involved with making herself ready. And when I say making yourself ready, that means this is our part in the Lord's working himself into us. But we need to pray, we need to read the Bible, we need to consecrate, etc. And so, Roman number one is really based upon a verse in James. In his epistle, James uses the illustrations of a farmer awaiting with long-suffering the precious fruit of the earth. So you can look at James 5, 7 in the footnote. This is a farmer. And I never was a farmer, but for many years I spent some weeks on my grandfather's farm. And what labor that is. You get up early, you go to sleep pretty early. And so here is this farmer laboring with long-suffering the fruit. The Lord Jesus is actually the real farmer, the unique farmer. While we are awaiting with long suffering the Lord's coming, He, as the real farmer, is awaiting with patience our maturity in life as the first fruits and the harvest of the earth. So there's two awaitings here. And I believe many of you can, can echo this over the last two or three years. Have you not spontaneously prayed with someone or by yourself, Lord, come quickly. Lord, we want you to come. And this is sincere. And we're longing for him to come. Wouldn't it be marvelous if he just raptured all of us right now? Amen. That would be wonderful. You know, I wouldn't say, oh no, where's my iPad? <laughs> well, don't look back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Well, but on his side, and you look at the life study, two chapters in James, uh, a dear member among us just pointed that out to me. Where Brother Lee is saying these two uh, kinds of awaiting, and the Lord is waiting, and he hasn't come because there hasn't been the significant maturity of his people on the earth. So why don't we, by the Lord's grace and governed by this vision, be those who can, under his salvation of life, that we corporately, all over the earth, can reach maturity 
And then our prayer can be uplifted to say, Lord, we're still waiting for you to come. And maybe the Lord will eventually say, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm coming right now. Point C, if we pray, Lord, come back quickly, the Lord may say, while you are awaiting my coming back, I am awaiting your maturity. Only your maturity can hasten my coming back. Isn't this a precious point that we learned from a man from Chifu, China. The Lord sent the gospel there, sent the Bible there, and then Brother Lee sent the ministry of the age, the Lord sent the ministry of the age here. And so, just learning this one sentence, you're waiting for this, this enriches my whole view of the Lord coming. I mean, he said, I come quickly. And I said, what do you mean? It's been 2,000 years. He may say, two days from my point of view. Okay. But now we understand there must be a mature bride prepared for him. And we have the opportunity and the privilege to be part of that corporate person. Point D, it is a great help for us to realize that if we are serious about awaiting the Lord's coming back, we need to grow in life unto maturity. There are various reasons personal and corporate, divine and human, regarding growing in life to maturity. But the, the most important one is this. The Lord wants a wife. He wants to come back as the bridegroom for her. And Lord, I want the rest of my days on the earth to be a preparation and eventually a participation in the wedding meeting. Outwardly, this like the two men, the two women that I mentioned last night, were still outwardly living a very normal and practical human life at whatever age we are, whatever our responsibilities are, but inwardly, we know what we're really here for and are longing for. Now we come to this second section on the mature bride is the goal of God's recovery. It's quite a statement. If someone might ask you, well, what is the purpose? You use this term recovery, Lord's recovery. What is that? Well, it has, it includes a lot. It's quite all-inclusive. But the goal of it is the mature bride. 
making herself ready. And as I read the subpoints, certain uh, matters will come forth. But I want to take just a few minutes to give you an overview of the ready bride. What are the characteristics? Well, the first we've already identified, it's her maturity. And maturity not only in a physical way, like a, a girl becoming a mature woman physically, but even more maturity in the, your person, in the way you think, in the way you speak, in the way you live. So I think this is clear. But the next characteristic is being built up in the corporate body of Christ. No individualistic person will be mature. We are still individuals in a certain sense, but to be individualistic means your, your attitude is, I can go to a meeting if I feel like it. If I don't, uh, the church life doesn't really matter that much. I love the Lord. He's my Savior. Well, uh, I've been in the Lord's recovery for 56 years. I don't know where I would be now if I had spent these 56 years in the United Presbyterian denomination. What kind of person would I be? Even if I published books and, and stuff like this, I was just so glad to be simply a brother in the local church where I am. And so to be built together corporately. Remember, this is the probably what Brother Lee called the greatest prophecy in the Bible. I will build my church. And so the building of the church equals the bride as a corporate person being built up together. And all of us, on the one hand, we have attributes that are inclined toward being built up. We also have attributes or rather peculiar things that withhold us from this. And so, once again, God will cause all things to work together for good, that you can be part of a corporate person. Because for eternity, we will still be recognizable as glorified sons of God. And uh, from all, all over the earth, We'll, re we'll recognize one another at the wedding feast and in the new heaven and the new earth. But we need to realize we're part of a corporate person. We are the wife of the redeeming God. And this is the goal for God's creating the whole universe was to have this relationship. And then uh, something I'll mention rather quickly is that she will be beautiful. And there's been messages on this, there are verses on this, that the Lord is beautifying us with himself. 
this by working himself into us. Then two other matters. One is the wedding dress was emphasized in Romans 19. And I wonder why is it? Of course, from the little that I remember that this is a, a big thing. The sister's getting married. My, I got to get my wedding dress. That's the most important thing. Well, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that, okay? This is a female thing, okay? I'm backing off on this one. But we're told that this, uh, her wedding dress was composed of righteousnesses. Righteousnesses. That's what the Bible says. Not righteousness. Righteousnesses. And this is very important because whether you know it or not, you are stitching your own part of the wedding garment. The more you have righteousnesses. Okay, Ron, you mentioned nesses, righteousnesses enough. What, what do you mean? Okay, good question. You can read your mind a little. It's a good question. Well, we know Christ himself is our righteousness in two ways. Like the prodigal son, when he came home, he was hungry, but the father put a robe on him, which signifies Christ as righteousness covering us so that we can be in the presence of God. But then we read in Philippians chapter 3 that Christ becomes our subjective righteousness, that he's working himself into our being. Now, I hope you can follow carefully, and I I hope I'm being clearly, in 2 Corinthians about the ministry of the new covenant. It's called the ministry of the spirit and the ministry of righteousness. So what is a righteousness or righteousnesses? It is when we are open for the life-giving spirit to flow through us and we are living by this spirit and in this spirit, then effortlessly in all the things in our daily life, we say or do or whatever in a righteous way. It's a particular action or response or whatever it is. And this righteousness is the expression in our living of the indwelling, life-giving spirit in us. And so all the believers will have the first robe. And that ensures them Redemption and salvation. A smaller number will have subjective righteousness because one theological system, Calvinism, they say there's no such thing as subjective righteousness. Well, let them blabber all they want. We'll just leave them over there. We we got better things to do. 
But then we need to realize we are all stitching our own part of the garment. So we, so this now involves how we're actually living in every matter. One, to me, saddening and heart-rending thing is to have the sense, again, not the judgment, the sense of here's a dear brother and here a dear sister, whether they realize it or not, they're living two lives. And one life, it's not a pretense, they're trying to be honest, is a Christian life in the church and with the saints. But then I spend much more time on my job and I'm in a difficult environment with all kinds of worldly people and then we can live another way. And eventually the Lord will come in and touch this. I don't want you to have two, two kinds of living. That I want you to learn like the man in the field who was raptured, the woman grinding who was raptured, to learn from me how you can have a normal, practical, human life with all your responsibilities, without in any way uh, violating the righteousness of God. And there will be certain things, even in your workplace, that you just can't talk about. Someone tells a certain joke, and you just can't laugh. These are just kind of petty illustrations and then the last thing is, we'll read about it again. She's a warrior as we go through the subpoints, And that is, she's a warrior wife. Not a warrior against her husband. You know, all, all, kinds, of, all kinds of conflict like that. And there, this, this is a, a tremendous need that the Lord has. And I just, at this point, have no idea how the Lord will perfect us in this. I'm not worried about it, but I'm concerned about it. But what will happen from the little that I presently know is that the more we mature, the more we are built up, the more we are uh, preparing the wedding garment then effortlessly we will now be able to go from Ephesians 5 to Ephesians 6. The sequence is quite interesting because you have the body in chapter 4, you have the wife in chapter 5, you have the army in chapter 6. So our goal is not to be the army in and of itself, but eventually, I, I just believe, I don't know how, the Lord will just have a way, whether there'll be a conference, whether there'll be a training, I don't know. But I'm just telling you a little bit of, a little secret, just of my own consideration. Let's just say the Lord led us to have a semi-annual training. We're gonna finish the whole Bible in two months. What do we do next? But well, we know whom to ask.
somehow to let us know. But if we were to have even a conference on this, this is something that will arouse the enemy. And so we don't want to do anything ahead of the Lord. So I'm just pointing this out, that when he comes back to fight against the Antichrist and his army at Armageddon, he's not coming alone. He's coming with a bridal army. And from what I recall reading in Revelation 19, I don't know if the, the bride would say, okay, I've had my wedding dress on, and now you, you say, what? We're, we're going to battle. Uh, well, what is my uniform? And he would say, dear, your wedding garment is your warrior clothing. You're ready. Let's just go. He wants a warrior wife. Okay, not a warrior wife. A warrior wife. And so, our being motivated by the divine romance and our love for the Lord and for one another in response to his love for us, this will just lead us into all of these aspects of development. And then we'll come to a certain point where the Lord can say, like in Song of Songs, you can look at this in chapter 4, that you're just ready and then he says in chapter 6, you're lovely as Tirsa, as beautiful as Jerusalem, but you're a terrifying army to the enemy. So don't pray, Lord, make me terrifying to the devil today. Uh, don't focus on that. Just realize as you are maturing, all these aspects will take place in you. And then the Lord will have, I believe, in the very near future, he's going to have a bridal army on the earth. And in the prayer meetings, this is much in my heart, because it's in the Lord's heart, that the prayer meetings won't be this formal gatherings. There will be at least a measure of time engaging in the prayers of spiritual warfare. Because the principle, the prayer is the Lord will not act even concerning his will and desire until on the earth he has someone agreeing with me and making their agreement their prayer. And so I'm very encouraged with you. Our future is wonderful. A mature wife, a trained warrior, and the Lord, not awaiting any longer for maturity, he said, she did it. She's ready. I even put it in the Bible. And then, in an instant, she's taken away. And more and more, this sounds so simple, we can read Revelation 14 again and again about the first fruits and we understand what they are. But what's been dawning on me is that this is actually going to happen. 
there's going to be Christians on the earth that reached a maturity and toward the end of the first three and a half weeks of the 70th week in Daniel, which hasn't started yet, but we will know when Israel makes the covenant with the European leader and he will enable them to rebuild the temple, we will know after three and a half years this man will be the Antichrist, the tribulation will begin, and just prior to that, the first fruits will be raptured. But this is actually going to happen. And even though, you know, this is just a human comment now, even though I'm an older fellow, I have to admit, I'm still hoping to be alive and go up with all of you. Amen. So the Lord's will will be done, but I think he's happy when more and more we have this realization. We want the remaining portion of our life to really contribute to the fulfillment of God's purpose. Okay, now we read through, <clears throat> and I don't... Uh, no, if we need to end the meeting earlier than 12. And so I'm, I'll be finishing the message earlier, so we'll just have ample time. I'm not cutting short, but I'm just aware of that. Okay? All right. A, the marriage of the Lamb is the issue of the completion of God's New Testament economy, which is to obtain for Christ a bride the church through his judicial redemption and by his organic salvation in his divine life. So this is the completion of God's New Testament economy. B, the Lord's recovery is for the preparation of the bride of Christ who is composed of all his overcomers. Well, when you hear this word overcomers, you may wonder, well, am I an overcomer? Will I be an overcomer? And this may, I don't know if this will help or not, but it's the truth. No one can know for sure that he or she is an overcomer until you have reached the end. And then you, then the Lord will indicate you're a victor. You overcame. And haven't you in your own feeling when a, a dear brother or sister in your locality uh, passes away and they're with the Lord, we're not overstepping and presuming the Lord's place at the judgment seat, but our inner sense is they had a victorious end. They finished their course. And it's, it, it's so comforting to realize this. It's so thankful. And there is one brother just about two weeks ago. He was only in his middle 60s. But I've known him for a long time, serving together for a long time. And I just look back on the last several years of his life. 
and what the Lord gained. And then one day he just never woke up. But there's the sense he finished his course. And so don't try to analyze yourself. Am I overcoming today? Am I being an overcomer? Something that I think you'll find encouraging and also relief. We know in Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord is saying, he who overcomes. So it has to be something you are victorious over. But in Revelation 3, 20 or 21, he said, I overcame. Then in chapter 5, we're told that the lamb on the throne overcame. And I was so relieved when I realized the only real overcomer is Christ Jesus. And the way he produces overcomers is to reproduce himself in us. So now we can have a specific prayer. Yes, Lord, I want to be an overcomer personally and corporately. So, Lord, reproduce yourself in me and you pray for others. Then don't worry about it. He will take care of it. I mean, do you think if you pray this, Lord, just reproduce yourself in me and make me an overcomer for the fulfillment of your purpose and the preparation of the bride? Do you think he will say, no, I don't think so. And why don't you pray about something else? No, he's just waiting for these kinds of prayers. K1 and 2, all the overcomers will be the new Jerusalem as the bride of Christ for 1,000 years in the initial and fresh stage. So there's two stages of the new Jerusalem. The overcomers, who are now co-kings during the millennium, and then all the believers who have been perfected and matured, we will all be now on the same level for eternity. But I don't want to wait for the rest of my days plus a thousand years, right? No. Two, eventually all the believers will join the overcomers to consummate and complete the new Jerusalem in full as the wife of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth for eternity. So that's where we realize, I don't want to wait for then. J.D., after his wedding, the Lord will come with his newly married bride to destroy Antichrist, who with his army will fight against God directly. And I say again, this is actually going to happen. And we're actually not going to be living on the earth as we've been living until now. We're going to be in another realm. And the Lord's parousia, that is his presence, his coming, will be gradual on a cloud. And we're going to be with him. And then when it's time to engage the, the war at Armageddon, he will be manifested. We will be there. This is really going to happen. It's not just some interesting prophecy in the Bible. 
And surely, don't you have the same feeling I do? I want to be there. I don't want to be in outer darkness. I want to be there. Then point uh, E, after crushing the human government, oh, what a happy day. Oh, wow. No more elections like this. Oh, no more politics. Oh, Lord, come on, let the stone come. After crushing the human government, God will have cleared up the entire universe. Then the corporate Christ, Christ with his overcomers, will become a great mountain to fill the whole earth, making the whole earth God's kingdom. You study the verses in Daniel, a stone that's not cut is descending and will strike the ten toes of the big person there. So that's just seemingly one stone. But we read further in Revelation with the right understanding, this will be a corporate stone. And we're not only dealing with the enemy's army, now human government, which is necessary, but it's corrupt to the uttermost. And and Daniel's images, they're all beasts. I can say this about the way the government is behaving in the United States, it's just bestial. This bestial. But we have to have it, and we have the proper relationship with it. We know Romans 13. We're not going to lead protests and rebel. We're waiting for something more radical than that. We're waiting for the whole thing to be smashed. That's what we're looking for. And then the stone will become a mountain filling the whole earth, then from this point on, those that were in the bridal army, they will be co-kings. And uh, I hope, Lord, it's okay. I have no idea who will be king over Barlow or Amsterdam, whatever it is. The Lord will say, uh, I don't answer curiosity. (laughs) And so, okay, I agree. Now the last point. The maturity of the bride requires that we grow in life from transformation to maturation. I worded it this way and also in the general subject to help us realize that transformation itself is not the end. It's not the goal. Because it's understandable that many saints, they're just hoping for this, praying for this. If they're transformed, then they've arrived. But we have to realize we haven't arrived. We arrive when we reach maturity in life. And it's the readiness of the corporate bride depends on this maturity. And you will find effortlessly when you are praying personally as we need to, to mature. And then many, many names will come up 
in your heart, eventually you'll just embrace all the churches, all the saints. Lord, we're just praying for the saints all over the earth that today will be a growing life day. We're not just focused on ourselves. This is a body matter. You must have a corporate counterpart who is mature. Be in the New Testament, the word mature is used to refer to the believers being full-grown, mature and perfected in the life of God, indicating that we need to grow and mature unto perfection in the divine life. You read Matthew four fifty-eight: be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a command. What do you do when you read such a command? You say, ah, I can't do that. No. There are, there are three steps here. The first is, this is a command. Amen. I say amen. Step two, Lord, I can't do this. Step three, I know you can't do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. But if you read that footnote, to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, according to the context, is to be perfected in love. This is in particular what the Lord wants to perfect in all of us. The more we're loved, First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us, we love him. We love the brothers and sisters. We love all human beings. And eventually we will love those who persecute us. Like the Lord on the cross. He didn't say, Lord, like, like David praying in the mixture in the Psalms, smash them, Lord, deal with them. Look what they're doing to me right now. I want avenge on them. He said, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you remember what Stephen prayed in Acts 7? Because he was the reproduction of Christ. He said, forgive them. They're stoning him. He's saying, they don't know what they're doing. So that's a sign of maturity. If someone is stoning you and you say, Lord, give me a boulder. Okay, <laughs> give me a boulder. And you realize... Well, I guess I'm not there yet, okay? <laughs> but the time will come when it's effortless because it's Christ living in you again. See, we need to continue to grow until we are matured in the divine life to become a full-grown man, arriving at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Point D, we should learn of the Apostle Paul to pursue the growth and maturity in the life of Christ. In those verses, Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind and stretching, reaching for the things ahead, we're pressing on. They're quite inspiring verses. But if we try to do it, we're not going to be able to do it. So once again, why was Paul able to do it? It's just because the Lord's operating in him 
and the Spirit's interceding for him and the Lord ministering to him. He is just pressing on, pursuing. That's an active word, pursuing. That, um, I was in uh, Russia again in 19, no, in 20, uh, 27, 2016, having a training meeting for the leading brothers upstairs. And we went downstairs. There was armed police with, or soldiers with rifles drawn so many others. They said, we heard there are terrorists here. And so we all had to stop. And they would question us one by one, including me. And so they were really pursuing. And so this word pursuing is more and more important than I ever thought. That we're very active. If by nature... Any one of us is passive. And some others, by nature, they're aggressive. Well, it seems at the beginning, they have the advantage because they're aggressive about everything. I want it. I'm after it. The others would say, I really like it, but, you know, whatever. But the Lord is not going to give advantage as a way who's naturally aggressive and ignore someone who's naturally passive. He has a way to make the passive very active. And so don't worry about what you are by nature. Just let the Lord renew you, and you will just be pursuing day by day. Like that first hymn we sang, it's just the love is sweeter today than any other time. And it will be always this way. K-E. To be transformed, here we go again with our definition, is to be metabolically changed in our natural life, whereas to be matured is to be filled with a divine life that changes us. So let's just underscore this. Changed in our natural life. This is at the very heart of stage three in the book, The Experience of Life, dealing with our natural constitution. Okay, the Lord created you. You have a very high intelligence. Or you are very skillful in so many things. And they're not in themselves negative, but they're under control of something negative. And so we need to be willing for the Lord to deal not only with the flesh, we can say, that's terrible. In dealing with the self, that's satanic. But to deal with your natural ability, whatever it is, he needs to. Of course, I never had any personal contact with Watchman Nee. I personally think he was... Probably a genius. He had a photographic memory. I don't know if I, did I tell you this already? And that anyway, one who had married uh, his sister, who knew him very well, he told us one day, we had a pile of newspapers. 
And we tested him. And he would just read like this. And then they would question him in detail. He had everything. So he was created with his capacity. So he had the capacity. By the time he's in his 30s, he has researched the entire history of Christian theology, spirituality, all of these things, because the Lord thoroughly dealt with his natural ability. And the same thing with Brother Lee. You know, surely Brother Albert knows much, much more than I do, but I just had this feeling, based upon a few things he said when he was young, he really was given to the, the government. And I believe he fully had the capacity to be the leader of the whole country. There's that kind of ability. But the Lord dealt with the natural element so that he could be useful in such a marvelous way in the ministry of the Lord. And so don't be afraid of that. Don't try to make it happen. You'll get through it. And you'll be brought into resurrection more and more. And, but you just realize this is part of maturing. The Lord will touch every natural element, especially related to capability. He needed someone like Paul with quite a gigantic intellect. But he didn't need a person with natural intelligence, full of self-glory. So he had to go through a lot to be fully useful. This is not judgment. This is death and resurrection. The goal always is resurrection. To put something simple in our daily living with the Lord, his goal is to bring us into resurrection. Now, I'm not an expert, and I'm not going to say anything person to person here. But some of you, you know, I haven't seen for a while. And you just have the sense, you may not realize it, but there's much more resurrection life in you. What you've been going through has not been in vain. You have passed through death, and now resurrection is reigning in you. Then, then the Lord can release us. Now, the last point at 11.15 is this. A mature believer knows and cares for the body of Christ, being body conscious and body centered. This will become eventually another indication. It's not something you manufacture because you heard about it, is part of your being. When you're body conscious, you have the feeling of the body and the body has feeling about you. That is why when I heard that I would be having the surgery and, and the semi-annual training was taking place and the saints were wondering, Ron is supposed to speak message nine, he's not here. He's supposed to do 11. He's not here. And I just had the inner sense, this is a body matter. And I brought it to the brothers. Would you consider letting the saints know and then pray? 
And then every day, every hour since then, it's been a body matter. That is why, you know, don't think I'm a hero in coming here. I'm just a member of the body supplied by the prayers and life of the body to be conscious of the body and take care of the body. And so my part is about coming to an end in 30 seconds. I am indescribably happy to be here with you all. What a happy conference. What a joyful time. And don't try to make yourself body conscious, body centered, whatever. You can pray a little bit about it, but you just, as you're growing to maturity, you will realize, I can't live without the Lord. I can't live without the body. I'm living in and for the Lord. I'm living in and for the body. I'm so content just to be one of many members of the body. So, fellow members, may the Lord bless you and your family in every way and every time and every day until you meet the Lord. The triune God is going to bless you, bless your churches, bless the work in Europe and the UK more than ever before. The heavens are opened and the blessings are raining down. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So pray with someone nearby and then our brother will direct us what to do next.